0: Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. And she bore him a son. He called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked down upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. So in the next chapter, we go immediately to this moment where he's out attending the flock and he sees the, the flame of fire in the midst of the bush and he looks and he sees the bush burning and at this point, Moses, he makes it what seems like a simple decision. He leaves what he's doing to go look at what's happening with this bush now, most of us, if we see a fire in the wilderness, we would kind of go be like, is that okay? You know, we're looking to see, is there a campfire over there? Are there other people there? So it makes sense. But what happens in that simple decision of Moses turning aside is really momentous in the life of Moses because it changes things dramatically. Um, I mean, he's about to hear from the Lord in such volumes uh, that it makes me sometimes long for that, where I'm like, could I have that specific of a? Because he's to- he he is told in, in detail what he's going to go back and do, what um, he's supposed to instruct the women to bring the jewelry out. Like he gives this whole thing, but it, like in a- in a few sentences he says, but but you know, first Pharaoh is going to re- uh, not want to do this, and I'm going to do a few things. God says, you know, he's going to do, and then he does, he does a few things. Um, but so it's, it's fascinating that he's, we're, we're getting a quick coverage of Moses's life leading up to this moment by the burning bush. Now, I don't know, like this is, and this is a, this is a, a fascinating question. Could Moses have ignored the burning bush? Could he just have said, huh, interesting, and kept walking? What would have happened? And so what, the reason I ask that is, He's doing his daily business and there's something a little bit unusual over there. And so he goes to go see what it is and in the process meets God. And and for many of us, we are going about our daily life, doing our daily things. And suddenly God shows up in an unusual way, but it almost seems like we would have an option to just ignore the fact that God has shown up. So with Moses coming out of coming out of Egypt here. We have him headed to Midian. So we had, um, last week got shown the map, you know, this was not just a simple day's journey. He didn't just run to the nearest forest and hide. He traveled. He went down a trade road. He traveled quite a bit. So it seems that he would have taken something with him. So it, that he wasn't just a complete runaway, but he actually might have packed a duffel bag or whatever they had in the days of Egypt and would have headed out, that he would have had some of his stuff with him is what it seems like. I'm not positive on this, uh, but I, it seems that he actually thought about this and said, okay, I'm in trouble before Pharaoh finds out about this. I need to get ready. So he goes, gets his stuff. As Pharaoh is finding out about it, he's already headed out. So he's heading out of town and he's, he goes to the land of Midian. Now the Midianites, if we go back to Genesis chapter 25, uh, when Isaac, when Sarah bore Isaac and Isaac had b- become full grown, there is this moment where Abraham sends um, Eliezer to go get a wife for Isaac. And then a little bit later, there is this time where it says that uh, Abraham went and had gotten married again to this woman named Keturah. It's in chapter 25. And this is after Isaac and Rebekah are together. So it says, Genesis 25, Abraham, uh, verse 1. Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimram, Jokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuah. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Latushim, and Lemuam. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephur, Hanok, Abedid, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abram had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. So this eastward country is now where, where Moses has arrived in this eastern country from, from where the land of promise was. And he's in this place and we, it's called Midian, and Midian is the fourth son of Keturah. So he's also a descendant of Abraham. But, but because Isaac and Rebekah are already married, you have to think of Midian more on the level of, say, uh, Jacob, as far as the generations go. Even though he is the son of Abraham, he's almost the same age as, as, as Jacob and Esau. So, He's the fourth born of that family. So this was, this was quite a long family happening here. And so there's quite a bit happening. So while we're following Isaac and Rebekah and what they're doing, there's a bunch of children being born. Um, I mean, that's, that's a lot of sons. If you look at that, it's, it's Zimram, Jokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbek, and Shua. And so we have, we have the fourth born. So, and then there's two more. So there's six children. And then at some point, they're raised up, and he sends them off to this, this land in the east. And so, you know, it, at the very minimum, it takes at least six years to have six sons and, and probably a lot more, but like it, it, at least six years, you know? And so you're looking at the time frame. This is what Abraham is doing at the end of his times. And so several things to think about is that while the children of Israel, while Jacob was dealing with the famine and other things in Egypt, the children of Midian were way off farther east. They might've not had the same famine. They might've Who knows? Maybe they came also and got things from Egypt. I don't know. We're not told this piece. How did they survive the famine? How widespread was this famine? But what struck me was this is a people that speaks the same language as the children of Israel because they are Abraham's descendants. So I don't know how many languages are represented in that area at this time between the Red Sea and the Dead Sea and and up in there. But he goes to a place that is distant relatives and they speak his language. So he's there with them and they are now, you know, they have a priest because the the daughters that come out, their father is the priest. Uh, and so we're not ever told exactly how, you know, is this a different strange religion that, that the Midianites are doing, but they're coming from Abraham. It's very possible that he is just a priest and that he is, doing the work of a priest worshiping the one true God. Later, Jethro comes out with Moses and says, he looks at what he's doing and says, Wow, that's good. Let me give you some counsel. Gives him counsel. Moses takes it. And there doesn't ever seem to be this this like clash where uh, Moses and Jethro are saying, We we don't believe the same things. It, it just seems to kind of it fits. And so I, I found that fascinating that we have this priest out here. Um, and so as I was looking at these different pieces and the, the, the names of the sons of Keturah that are mentioned, so Sheba and Dedan, that's the that's the sons of Jokshan, so the grandsons of Abram going that way, Sheba and Dedan both built a city somewhere down that direction. So their cities are named multiple times in prophecies and stuff later on. Um, I, I believe it's these ashram that also that this ashram that's also mentioned at times, uh, that's the son of Dedan. But then you have, um, like, the firstborn, Zimrem. we don't ever hear of him again except in the genealogies. Jokshan, we don't really hear again. Midian becomes a land. Uh, Sheba and Dedan become a, a city. And so it's, it's interesting to look at these names, see where else do they show up, what else happens. And so even by the time I, the prophet Isaiah is still speaking to the children of Midian and, and Midian's son, Epha. And Sheba, he's still talking to them at the time of Isaiah. So, this is quite some time later. And so, you know, we have Gideon going up against the Midianites later in a a war, in a battle. But the Midianites seem to survive for, you know, potentially to this day. I didn't find a prophecy that said they're going to be wiped out completely. They seem to survive. They were just a people group that at different times was either following God or not. And so we don't have evidence right now of exactly what's happening with them, but we have a priest of Midian who's there. Um, and this is where, where Moses lands. So I have several thoughts that, that I wanted to think about. So first of all, um, here, here's, here's something. This is a, a, a an account that is somewhat familiar to us but I don't know if you've ever thought about this. So listen to this. So we have a man, and he commits something of a crime. So he flees from his, his father's country. He arrives at a well that is in the location of distant family. And while he's at the well, he meets his future wife. And he helps his future wife water the flocks that she's in charge of. And then the future wife goes back to her father's house. And her father says, where's the guy that helped you? And so they go back and they said, bring him here. So they bring him home. He meets his future father-in-law. He actually gets married to this woman. And then he serves his father-in-law for quite a long time. Then he has an encounter with God. And after a while, he is headed back to his own land. And on his way back to his land, he meets his brother. He's got his wife and children with him. He goes back and he's meeting his brother. And then eventually he goes on to fulfill God's purposes. And so what I just gave you is an outline of Jacob and of Moses. They both did this thing. Like Jacob is the rightful, uh, he's supposed to get the blessing. God wants to bless Jacob. But he does this thing that when you look at it, it feels like he stole the blessing. And you're thinking, is that really the way you should have done this? And you have Moses, who's, who's, he is going to be the deliverer of Israel, of Israel out of Egypt. And he does this thing. And you're like, is that really the way you should have done that? So he commits this crime. And so they both do this thing that you look at and you're like, I'm not so sure you did the right thing. Like, I know you're supposed to be the chosen one of God, but like, really? And so then they're fleeing. And then they end up at this well, and they're sitting there, and you know Jacob's sitting there watching the other, all the flocks come up and settle down, and he's, he asks about his, 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 you know, his, are my relatives around here? And they're like, yeah, they're doing fine. And, and in fact, there's, there's your, uh, your uncle's daughter's coming right over there. And so Rachel comes up, and, and they're all waiting for someone to open the well. I don't know why exactly, but they're just waiting until everyone gets there. And Jacob looks up, sees Rachel, goes and says hello to her, and says here. And he opens the well and just helps her water her flock. Moses gets there, sees the seven daughters of Jethro coming with the sheep, and, or I forget if it was goats in their case, but they're coming in, and as they're, as they're taking care of this, this, they're trying to water their flocks, and as they're watering their flocks, all the other shepherds come and say, get out of here, and they're just having a, like a brawl down at the well. And so Moses, coming from freshly having taken things into his own hands and killed someone, Um, is sitting there watching all this. And he's like, that's not right. He stands up, intervenes and says, no, feed your, you know, water your flocks. And so I'm thinking about this Egyptian guy who is running from the law, so to speak, running from Pharaoh. And he shows up here, but he's still willing in this case. So I was trying to get into Moses' head a little bit and be like, okay, how do you really feel? Like, is he thinking, well, I did the right thing. I did what I was supposed to do. Or is he feeling guilt? What is he thinking? Why is he? Because it says he was, af- he was af- afraid and he ran. And so we have this moment where he stands up and just takes charge of the situation and tells the other shepherds exactly what they can do and gets the daughters of, of uh, Jethro up there and they feed, the, or they water their flocks and then they take them back home and they tell their dad and their dad's like, well, where is he? Why, if, he if he helped you, why isn't he here with you? So they go back and get him. And so this meeting at the well, then, and then they, they end up marrying. And so you think about Jacob, he makes a deal with Laban. And Moses just, you know, he's there and, and um, Jethro is like, well, here's my daughter. And he's like, seems like a good idea. I'm back. It feels like my people in some extent. So he's there. But what we'll notice later is these are not quite the same as in that they are not circumcised at this point. They're not children of the circumcision. Genesis doesn't tell us whether or not Abraham circumcised his sons after Isaac. We don't know this account. Did he ever, was it a, would it have been something that the Midianites would have known or not? But later we find out that there was a, they, that the daughter of Jethro was not interested in circumcision and it was a life-threatening situation before she actually got there. So we have this, this whole line. And then even to the point of them serving for a while and then being like, okay, I got to leave. Like Jacob has his visions. Moses has the burning bush. They're headed back. And as they're headed back, their brother comes to meet them. And you know, it comes Aaron and it takes God to tell Aaron, go meet your brother. And we don't know, you know, Esau is coming. And so they come, they meet and things happen. <laughs> and eventually they go on. Jacob becomes the, the chosen people of God. He becomes Israel. He's renamed Israel on that journey, actually. And as they're, you know, he gets to do what he's called to do, Moses goes back and also fulfills the promises of God. And so that just me—it just fascinated me that we have the same outline for two different stories. So I was like, did, did Moses know this? Was he sitting there thinking, you know, Jacob, uh, Eliezer, you know, you go to a well in a foreign country. That's how you get a wife. Like, the, is he thinking this? Like, why is he sitting at the well? I mean, partly he's sitting at the well because, I mean, he came to get a drink, and I was just sitting there waiting, and he's just kind of sitting in the shade is what I'm imagining, and he's probably also trying to calculate, well, how far away am I from Egypt, do I need to go any further, am I far, like, what am I doing next, like, what, what's next, um, my short stint as the rescuer of the Hebrews didn't go so well, and so what am I going to do next, and so he settles down here and has, and starts a family, has a job, has, you know, is connected into the community, And this is where he is until that burning bush happens. And then he's sent back into Egypt. And so this, this, this moment of sitting at the well, you know, I was so naturally, I started thinking about other people sitting at the well and my thoughts went to Jesus sitting at the well there in Samaria. And as he's sitting there, what's fascinating is in the, so in the overall scheme of things, Christ is on earth to seek out his bride, right? That is what he's doing. And so part of what he does is he goes to the Samaritan woman and he actually calls her to him and says, go do this thing. But I, I just found it really fascinating. You know, here comes, here comes the woman. He's having a conversation with her. And part of the conversation is, go call your husband. And she's like, I don't have a husband. And, and, she, and he's like, well, that's true. But the, the statement that he gives us where he where she asks about worship and some other things, and he, he literally says that there's coming a day when out of the one who believes will flow rivers of living water. And so this well that we see with Jacob sitting at the well, Eliezer uh, before him you know, being at the well and praying, uh, Moses sitting at the well, Jesus sitting at the well, there's, there's this earthly water that we drink and we thirst again. This is what Jesus tells the Samaritan woman. But then there is this heavenly water. Because I, you know, I was thinking about the wells. I, I, I was trying to think in terms of what today is the well in our society. And we don't have exactly the same thing. Because it is both a center of commerce because of the animals that need to be fed there. And it is a center where where actual water, you know, it's the life-giving water. So there's like several pieces to what the well is. And so it's like a travel truck stop type thing in some ways, but it's not a complete picture of it. And so, you know, I'm like, well, do you, like how many people go to a strange town, go down to the truck stop and look for a wife? Like, is this, is this the way this is supposed to work? I really missed it in my life. That's not where I found my wife, (laughs) And so, so it's not a it's not a good picture. I was like, I don't think I feel like things have shifted somewhat, and we don't have the same thing where a traveler stops, the commerce all comes there, and the local families come there. Like it's not quite the same now. In a in I think there are still countries today where the water system is such that. The, you know, if you think about Jesus' wells being drilled in other countries, that's what they become. They become that place where people come and get the life-giving water and go back to their houses. So you do have a lot of the, the community interaction happens at the well. And so in, in, in our country, we've been given so much blessing that we've really been separated from this community connection that is forced to happen. So it's a little bit different. But what is fascinating is that Jesus literally says, we will, be, we will have the rivers of, of living water flowing out of us. And so in some way, we become that well to one another. And so there's been many times that I've sat down with another family of believers and been refreshed on my journey and been encouraged and, and it's been helpful. And so if you think of that way, then, then well, this I, I went to the Jones house and was refreshed there and met my wife and I actually did work for her father for a while, so... He didn't have any sheep or goats, but, um, (laughs) so there's, so I, I just found this fascinating to think, first of all, that this storyline with Jacob and Moses, like I could tell the complete story almost, and you would know which one I'm talking about until, you know, I'd have to identify what exactly was their calling that they fulfilled and how was their encounter with God? What was their encounter with God? When I told you the encounter with God, that would make, then you'd be like, ah, now I know who you're talking about. And so this is, this is to me, this is a, I'm sure there's a term for it within poetry or within literature, but it's like we have this parallel account of two lives that are not at the same time or the same place, <clears throat> but they're both the chosen one of God and they're both going to be used by the Lord. And so this so that was fascinating. So I just wanted to point that out as we're going through here. But one of the things that I, I really began contemplating, because I'm thinking about what is Moses thinking while he's sitting at the well there in Midian? What are the thoughts that are going through? Because it doesn't tell us. It just says, Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. And then it tells us about the seven daughters of the priest of Midian, and we go into that account. So we have Moses, he's now fled, he's left Egypt. Last week we were talking about how leaving Egypt is not the same as entering the promised land. Well, he's left Egypt, he's having some deep soul searching in some ways because he's having to make a new life for himself. He has to start over. So he can't just continue with the way things were. He has to start over. He has to do something new. And as a result, he's sitting here, he's waiting and as he's waiting, he has a a life changing interaction. But again, it feels like it's one of those things where he could have chosen to do nothing. He's sitting there, he sees the dispute that's happening with the with the, the as they come to the because it says the daughters came, drew water, filled the troughs to water their father's flocks. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. So it's like the other shepherds are like, oh, look, they already filled the troughs. That was That's a lot of work. Let's just chase them out of the way. We'll get the water. We'll make them do this again. And so instead, Moses says, actually, no, that's their water. Let them have it. And so they have this this skirmish and he ends up they end up back with their father and he says and an Egyptian delivered us. That's how we came so soon. So this must've been an ongoing thing where they would come and try and not always make it. And so, so here we are with Moses in the wilderness and the, the, the we're given a few things about him. So it says in verse 14, it says, so Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And in Verse 15, it says, "Moses fled." So we have Moses fearing and fleeing from the face of Pharaoh. And so as he does this, we are left with some inkling on, on the mindset of who Moses, what he's thinking, how he's interacting. But when I was looking over in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, to see what actually was going on with Moses, I felt like there was more about Moses there listed than about some of the other people that are mentioned. So if we turn over to Hebrews 11. Now, I mean, you know, there's quite a bit written about Abraham, but we get to Moses and it says in verse 23, Hebrews eleven twenty three, says, by faith, Moses, when he was born... Was hidden three months by his parents. So, this is about his parents, really, more than about him. Amram and Jochebed. Uh, because they saw that he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. So, that's their parents, but it's about Moses. Then, verse 24 says By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. All right, so... My question, and I tried to find what other people thought about this, and I, I think there's actually, uh, you can look at this Hebrews passage in two ways. Because when it says, by faith he forsook Egypt, which time are we talking about? Is it meaning, because if you just go with the order of things here, then by faith he forsook Egypt, we just read it, he was afraid and he fled. But then... Later he comes back and they all leave, but it says, so it gives an order here. It says he kept the Passover and then by faith passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. So what's fascinating about this, and the reason I bring it up is here in Hebrews, it recognizes it as faith for him to say, I don't want to be called by Pharaoh's daughter's son. We're not given in, in 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 Exodus a moment where he says, you know what, I don't want to be called this anymore. I want to go and be my people. We're just given that he shows up out there and he starts doing stuff, which involves killing Egyptians. And when he's finished and he realizes this is not working, he runs away. So we don't hear a well-polished press release saying, that Prince Moses has decided to not be a prince anymore and he's going to move to Canada. We don't hear any of that. We just see Moses going and doing stuff, but it says in Hebrews that he would rather identify with the Hebrews than with Pharaoh. And so we see that. And so in my experience, I would tell you that fear and faith are two opposite things. So that when you're talking about the fear of God and faith, that they're the same, you know, the two sides of one coin. But when we're talking about the fear of man, that is not the fear of God. And so I would tell you these are two different things. And yet, when it says, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. And I'm like, but he did fear the wrath of Pharaoh. He was afraid. It says he was afraid of Pharaoh. And even later, when God said, go talk to Pharaoh, he was like, I'd rather not. Um, can I take a Aaron along with me instead? Or like, can someone else go? And so, so this, this is again, one of those times when I look at what we're told happened and then we hear the report from heaven and it seems different. It seems that God is overlooking some of the humanity. But then I thought about it is the reality that God doesn't overlook our humanity. He takes it into account. He knows who we are. He knows our weakness he knows our fear. He knows our inability to perform. That's what God knows that and he takes it into account. And so when we obey and do the thing God wants us to do, whether we slay the Egyptian and bury him in the sand and then run for our lives or whether we officially say, you know what? Pharaoh's daughter, I, I, I really need to go back. I want to be back with my people. Whether he officially makes that choice or whether it looks very slipshod and hazardous and not really well planned. Because for most people who are trying to live intentional lives and trying to live on purpose for the kingdom, when you find Moses running from Egypt, he doesn't seem like a good ally at that time. He doesn't seem like, you know, cause I don't know if you've heard this, I keep running into it in all kinds of contexts, but you become, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So financially, uh, your net worth is the average of the five people. That, so that's something that's said all the time. And so <clears throat> so I actually brought this up on a Saturday morning and was like, so what about Jesus? He hung out with poor people, uh, all this stuff. And, 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 and the other guy, went, um, I don't know if it's Alex or somebody was like, yeah. But the other two people he hung out with all the time were God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So, average. <laughs> and so, so, but there is this, this, this concept where we are on purpose spending time with people because of what they can provide for us, right? But at the same time, we need to be spending time with people for what they can be, what we can be giving to them. And so I'm looking at Moses saying, well, he's not an ideal candidate right now. And yet he goes to the wilderness and then he is the actual candidate that God uses. And we can actually learn a lot from Moses. But in this moment where he's running, I would look at Genesis and say, well, that's fear. And So, so because there's the, the potential of reading it as um, okay, so he was fearful at first, but then later he forsook Egypt. Uh, that is a potential of reading it that way and say, well, maybe it means that by faith he left Egypt a second time. However, I think in the overall scheme of things, something very important happened the day that, that Moses went out amongst the Hebrews, saw the injustices and was like, hey, that's not okay. So whether he responded correctly or whether it was an incorrect response, I think it was still a proper action for him to identify with the Hebrews rather than with the Jews. Egyptians. And so it was an act of faith, however sloppy, however unknown it was. And so I, you know, and I just, I love this thing because the, the early church fathers picked up on this really quickly that Hebrews tells us that it, you know, he forsook Egypt by faith. And yet if you go read it, it says he ran in fear. And so they have, they, they have the same discussion of, and they, they have disagreements. Something it was later, something, no, not right now when he's running in fear, that it's also an act of faith. And so, so as i was thinking about this, this very morning, um, you know, I saw a post and it it was the whole thing, how you cannot have fear and faith at the same time. I'm like, well, what about this? What about this Moses fella? Because there are times when I look at what's happening around me and I say, that is horrible. And in my heart, fear strikes, but in desperation, I say, but I'm a believer and I belong to Jesus Christ. So I'm walking in by faith. And so as I turn to walk by faith, my step is somewhat quickened because of what's behind me. And I'm just a little bit afraid of what's back there. And so I'm walking a little bit by faith forward and a little bit by fear of what's behind. And I'm not just this perfect picture of the peaceful warrior confident in my abilities with my with all my weapons in place and my armor on and just calmly walking in and giving the exact right movie line to bring the house down. I'm not that I'm just, I'm like, Oh no. Okay, Lord, I think I need you. We better go. And I'm, I'm headed out and it looks a little bit sloppy and it looks a little bit messy. And I think this is where Moses is a good picture for us. And so as I'm, as I'm thinking about waiting at the well, the thing that I, that I took this, you know, with Jesus saying that we are to become the, having the rivers of living water flowing out of us and I'm, I'm waiting at the well and I realized that, that there are times when even that act of me coming to Jesus, wanting the rivers of living water, sometimes I come calmly, confidently and I seek the Lord, what I would say, preemptively. And then there's other times when I am driven there where I'm like, Lord, I've got to hear from you. And so this, this <clears throat> what I want to be careful of, because I think in, in our culture today, we sometimes celebrate the messiness as evidence that it's God. And that's not quite the way this works. What is, what, what is the evidence of God is still the fruit of the spirit. And so when we start seeing the fruit of the Spirit showing up, that's the proof that God is there, not the messiness that comes beforehand. The messiness, however, can be evidence of a transition that needs to be made that we don't know how to make. So you think about Moses. God is choosing Moses. Moses is the one. He wants to use him as a deliverer for Israel. But how do you go from, you know, eating the best of the land over here while you're family group over here <clears throat> while your um, the rest of your family is just is totally out here not doing well, how do you go from that to having any credibility with them? See, if you're sitting basically at the table of my enemy and eating well while I am struggling to feed my family, and then you come out and speak some words, I'm going to hear it all as platitudes and I don't want to hear it. I'm not listening to you. You're one of the enemy. So how can you come and speak to me in a way that I will actually listen and actually give you respect? Like something has to change. And so this is, this is where Moses is, where he comes. He, yes, he's called. Yes, he's chosen. Yes, God is going to use him, but he's not ready. And so would there potentially have been other ways to make this transition? to go from Pharaoh's, uh, coming from Pharaoh's daughter's house to actually walking. Is there another way to make that? There is potentially another way to make the transition. I don't know how it would be done. I I personally have no, like I didn't, I don't want to kill the Egyptian. I mean, okay, so sometimes I do want to kill the Egyptian, but like that's not, that's not the path I want to choose. I don't want to be like, well, here's my strategy. Go kill somebody. Like that's a, that's not a great way to start the day to become the rescuer of your nation, of your people, to become the leader and the judge that people will look to you to explain what justice is. So it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of a poor start. And yet this is where Moses starts. And it wasn't because he planned it so much as it just happened. That's where it went. And he was like, no, and in the heat of the moment, that's what happened. And so when I'm looking at this and comparing it to my own faith, and I'm thinking about sitting there at the well, and i 'm waiting on what 's happening next, and i 'm looking where i 'm going to go the, the 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 small events that happen in moses life are evidence that there is a God who has called him and is wanting to use him and so for each of us, there are so many small things that happen, and we don't even think of them as like big spiritual stuff and so in our childhood, in our youth, um, as we are turning eighteen and making a lot of life decisions, as all of that is happening there's a lot going on that we don't fully understand. And so there are times when we are when we're faced with that level of decision where we're thinking, you know, if cuz I'm telling you, there are people who write books about intention, intentionality and purpose and I'm one of those guys who's tried my hand at that kind of stuff. And and it is nice when we find a story where we find the guy who sat down and said, well, here Is exactly where I would like to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, whatever. And we write it all out and we say, that's where I want to be. And then he goes out and executes the plan and it's just beautiful and flawless. But most of the accounts are not quite like that. Usually there is a stumbling around for a minute and then there is some other stuff and then somehow God intervenes and then suddenly we're back on track and then we're like writing stuff out and it's like, wow, it's working. We finally get the direction and we're headed out the right way. But it's not as beautiful and flawless because it would be kind of cool if we could say, look at Moses. Moses took time to consider his youth. He took time to consider his creator. He looked at the history of the Hebrews. He won the confidence of the Hebrews. He explained to Pharaoh why it was necessary for the Hebrews to go. And God used his abilities and let the people go. And they walked back home to the promised land. Wouldn't that be nice? But there is no papyrus that says that's what happened and while we have found other poems and stuff from the Egypt from that time frame, we have not found the life mission statement of Moses in that way. We find instead a, a man who has just had an incredible amount of stuff happen to him, and now he's trying to, Later, he's hearing from the Lord. Right now, he's trying to figure out what he's going to do. And he's sitting at the well. And he helps someone, and that actually turns back. So there's a a lot of pieces here. But I think part of what I want to just say with this is in these seasons of waiting and times when we're not quite sure if we did the right thing or not, like in our day and age, we have been given so much in the scripture. We've been given so much wisdom that's available to us along with the scriptural instruction that if we lack wisdom to pray for it, we've also been given a lot of just simple things, you know, like, um, so if we don't have a, a, a clarity on what our call is supposed to be, there are a lot of one another commands in the New Testament. We can say, well, this is, I should be loving other people. I should be helping. I should be encouraging. I should be exhorting. I should, and you can go through the whole thing and you say, okay, this is what I ought to be doing. So there's a lot that we can be doing and a lot that we should be doing. And so there's plenty for us to do. And so this is kind of the idea where Moses looks around and says, well, I'm here now. Um, <clears throat> there's a woman for me to marry. There's a flock for me to take care of. I'm going to do this. And he starts raising a family and he just does this thing. And when God says, it's time for you to move to the next step, God made it pretty clear. Could he have walked by the burning bush? That's a big question. It's a a deep question that we could get stuck on and miss the main point. The main point is that God actually wasn't in a huge hurry. When Moses rushed out of Egypt, God wasn't wringing his hands going, oh no, now we've done it. He actually waited for a number of more years before he finally says, okay, Moses, now's time. But when it was time, he let him know. I have at times in my life been concerned that I would miss God's direction. And so I have literally prayed like this, Lord, I don't know when it's time. I'm gonna be doing these things until it's time for me to do that. But when it's time for me to do that, could you hit me over the head with a two by four? Just make sure I don't miss it. I don't wanna miss it. And so I remember one of those times, like I'm going around my life like normal and suddenly on one afternoon as, as the, the activities of the week are coming to an end and I'm about to have to drive back home again, I just start getting this very strong sense that God was about to do something. And it just kept driving me to pray. So I kept going back to my room and praying and seeking the Lord. My like, God is about to do something. I don't know. Lord, what is it? And I was just seeking the Lord. And, the, and it caused me to draw closer to him. It was similar to that burning bush experience in that it caused me to be all ears. What are you saying, Lord? What's happening? And what happened that weekend was life changing. It, it was powerful what God was setting me up for but I needed to be listening first. And so I felt like that truly was an answer to the prayer that God would hit me over the head with a two by four. He didn't have to crash my car or anything. He just got my attention. And so I think it's important for us to have that faith of realizing that yes, God has called us to do something and no, he doesn't want us to do it in our own strength. He's not that impressed with our abilities He looks at us killing the Egyptians and says, oh, you think that's victory? That's not really what I was after, but okay, carry on. And then the next day, events suddenly start pushing us around and we flee to the wilderness. And finally, sometime later, God gets our attention and says, here's what I really want. So we can can be more attentive to that process. We can avoid some of the history. See, if Moses would have just left Egypt one day, for no apparent reason, he could have said, well, I'm going back to Egypt now. And he could have gone back. But every time Moses looks back at Egypt, what is he thinking? He's thinking there's a warrant out for my arrest because I killed an Egyptian. And so he has a past that is actually providing some pushback for him that's keeping him from wanting to go back when God calls him to go back. And I think that's important to realize is that There is a certain amount of time that has to elapse in our life between our calling and the fulfillment of our calling. And we will often try to find what it is that made it last longer. We'll be like, well, you know, I wasn't ready and then I did this and that messed things up and then it took me five years to over. Not realizing that it's very possible that God says, look, I'm letting you know now so that you can seek my face. I'm letting you know now so that you can Pursue me. I'm letting you know now so that you can be praying that direction and be preparing. I'll let you know when it's time. And it's possible that had Moses not killed the Egyptian, had Moses done everything else correctly, that that same amount of time would have still elapsed because God had told Abraham 400 years. And so God himself had a plan. He was wanting to do something, but he wasn't in a hurry. And so it's possible that we can actually get to that day when God says, okay, now it's game time, go. And we can get there with zero bad things on our conscience. It's possible that we can actually protect our relationship with God, our relationship with our fellow man, and we can arrive on that day and say, oh, it's time now, and we can go without having that problem of the, the guilty conscience and things. And we see this issue with Moses. Now, God takes Moses' life and makes a beautiful picture. But we see him when he tells things to the children of Israel and they don't obey immediately, he gets so angry at times and just gets upset with them. And so we see this where he is struggling and then it, it, it continues to impact him until finally God's like, nope, not you're not going to the promised land. And so we don't want to be stuck on that side of things. We want to be stuck in hidden with Christ in God where we are confident that when there is something God wants us to know, he will tell us. Does that mean we need to posture ourselves now? Does that mean we should spend a little more time seeking the Lord? Well, sure. That's what it, We should be seeking the Lord. We should be looking what he has for us, what he's telling us in his word. We should be praying about that. And then we should be ready to do the things that he's given us to do, but to not be stressing about not you know the, the timing of things. Because I think if if someone could have just gotten to Moses that morning and said, look, I know you're seeing oppression and you're kind of getting it for the first time, but this has been going on for a while. Let's see what we can do about this. It, it could have been different. And, you know, this is the Bible. So, like, it's not that I'm trying to correct the story of the Bible, the accounts of the Bible, but at the same time, I often feel like We need to ask these questions because these people were human interacting with the same God that we're interacting with. And so we have the same, the same things happening. Now you look at Moses's relationship with his father-in-law, it was way better than Jacob's with his father-in-law. It was much better. Um, And so, so there is that, if you want to call it that, like Moses did learn some things, from the historical account, and I think we can learn a lot, but there is a, there is a reality in the fact that in our life, a lot of times that when we will walk in faith, the most will be the same times that we will be most aware of the fear that's available in the world. We will be totally aware of why well, it could be really bad, but I'm going to follow Jesus. You know, the enemy is on my heels, but i'm actually been called to follow jesus and so i'm going to follow him and if he gives me a command i'm going to be listening and i'm going to do that and so whether or not this hebrews is hebrews 11 is specifically referring to the moment that that he was af- Moses was afraid of Pharaoh and saying that was true faith, I, don't, I doubt that it was exactly that. It was the moment of him saying, I would rather identify with the Hebrews than with the Egyptians. So however imperfectly that was said, I believe that is still rewarded by faith. And so we might do this imperfectly too. As we come to walk with the Lord, there are times when we have the option of being loved by the world, but we say, actually, I can't go that path because I'm following Jesus. And so, and I, and I think of things like, um, well, Justin, Justin Blocker's testimony when he was here, um, he'd been in karate and then he, when he started following Christ, he felt like I cannot do this karate anymore. And he said, no, I'm not doing that. And then a number of years later, God says, well, actually I'd like you to make this a huge part of your life work in discipleship. And so now he has a karate school down in, in, in San Antonio and he's at peace with it and it's being prospered, and it's a blessing, and it's God is using it as a source of discipleship and mentoring where he's able to minister, and it's a beautiful thing. But at the time, Justin was trying to hear from the Lord. What is it? I need to follow Jesus, is what he was saying. And so in his mind, he's like, well, this can't work, and he's he's throwing stuff out, and you know, some of his friends were going, but don't throw that away. That's actually a useful thing for the kingdom. He says, no, I got to get rid of it all. And so I think it's like that. We it's not that he was wrong in saying that because he shouldn't have karate as an idol. But at the same time, he needed to understand if God was putting him in there, he needed to know that it was God and that it was God's idea. And so so from, from a life mission perspective, if we're trying to see how he was tracking his purpose, we would say, oh, well, right here, something got kind of mixed up over here. I'm not sure what's going on. And we might misunderstand the deeper level what was really happening was Justin's heart was being fixed on following Christ he saw Christ as his king not just his savior but as his king and he knew that Christ could command him so he was wanting to be commanded by Jesus and so when he gets to that point sure he's going to throw a lot of things overboard and then try to bring them back as as necessary but he didn't want to miss that main part of being follower of Christ and belonging to Jesus and so that's an encouraging bit of the, 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 of the history. I, I've always been encouraged by seeing that because honestly, there are times when we see people making decisions around us and they're like, why are you doing that? You don't need to do that. And yet, if I try to change someone else's journey, then I may end up in the same place where I'm just killing an Egyptian for no reason and I'm not actually helping. So I, I just want to encourage all of us to like, look at your life. Don't stress if it seems like you're headed out in the wilderness. Seek the Lord. He has direction for you. He has purpose for you. Don't feel as if you have to enact it right now in your own strength. There are many, many days when I get up and I'm like, well, what can I do to just make it all happen today? And then the reality is I can't make it all happen today. I can make something happen today but I'd rather have something that God made happen. And so it's better for me to seek the presence of the Lord sooner rather than wait till later. And if he just speaks peace and says, hang on, I'm still working. So be it Lord. If he says it's time and he gives the complete instructions, says time to go back. That's awesome. So that's where we'll be looking at next is um, in In Exodus three, we'll be reading what happens when Moses comes to the burning bush and how he makes that decision and, and, and how he goes back to, uh, to Egypt. So for right now, I would say that Moses was operating in faith to the Lord when he was forsaking Egypt, because he really didn't care for the favor of Pharaoh's house at that moment. He really only wanted the favor of the Hebrews. And he was confused when they didn't automatically recognize that and extend that to him. that they didn't, they didn't see the distinction. He didn't kill a Hebrew, he killed an Egyptian. Don't you see what this means? And and, and so it, they didn't get it. And so it's now later he comes back and says, and he, he's given instruction on what he's supposed to tell them and who sent me and, and all of that. He's given these instructions. He goes back and eventually they follow him out of Egypt. and He does become... He fulfills his purpose of delivering the children of Israel. So those are my various random thoughts on uh, just going through this, uh, this, the well, waiting at the well. And I would like to think that as we look at these accounts, that we will apply things to our life. And that if, you know, if, if it's true that Moses knew about Jacob's story, and was thinking about it. He might not have been thinking about this at all. It might have been the farthest thing from his mind at the time, but it may be that he's like, I got to go back to my father's, you know, where can I go where there are more people that belong to my ancestry? He might've been thinking about that. That might be why he's in Midian. It might just be that's as far as the road went and he was tired. So he sat down. Like, I don't really know. It doesn't tell us this, but he ends up back in this, in this, in this, in his extended family. So, so, the the lessons that I was pulling out for myself were simply that sometimes my faith will be somewhat driven by fear of external things and that I shouldn't completely condemn myself for that, but I would like to get to the point where I truly, when someone tells me of the lion in the streets and what the danger is, that I'm not going, oh yes, I know, I read up on that lion, I'd rather say, but did you hear what the King said? Did you hear what Jesus is asking of us? Let's do that. I would love it if I would say, if I could be at that point where literally every decision of my life was made because I was listening to the King and I was hearing what he had to say and I was walking with him and I was obeying him and that my first response to his situations wasn't because of the fear that surround because I'm telling you from Egypt when Moses was there until now, there's a lot of fear in the streets. And it's, <clears throat> it is amazing how many things there are and how many reasons there are to be fearful. And yet we have Christ who is our reason to believe and our reason to be faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you have called us to yourself. Thank you that you've given us the opportunity to walk by faith even when we don't see things, everything. Lord, you give us this opportunity. And Lord, thank you that you've shown us Moses here who really did so much and is such a hero of the faith when it comes to um, fully understanding what you intended for the children of Israel and to see how he delivered them, how he led them And and he walked with the people, there's so much to be learned from the life of Moses and yet we see his early beginnings being a little bit shaky here. And so Father, I thank you that you've given us this example. You've given us Moses. And thank you that you put him in the Hebrews 11 hall of faith. And it showed us that it was a question of identity that was really being, that was happening here. And that Lord, you've given us our identity. We can walk with you. So I pray for each of us that would be able to walk with you, identify with you, we'd be your people, that we would not be held back by fear, but that we would be able to walk by faith. And that even in the years to come, if when people look back and are telling the account of what happened in our life, that if they have to say, they can say, well, this happened and they were afraid, but then they returned and responded by faith to Jesus Christ. But that is our heart. We want to be able to respond by faith. We love you.